honey, we are here. We're queer. And we're relevant. <laughs> <laughs> What up, what up, what up, everybody? It's me, y'all. I am back. It is me, Ron Draquel. I am back for another wonderful episode. Excuse me. We are back. Because if you're listening to this, then I'm with you too, boo. We are back for another wonderful episode of Queer and Relevant. Because what? We're here. We're queer. And we're relevant. So I just want to also start off by saying happy Halloween, everybody. Um, I cannot wait to see all of those costumes. I know a lot of you have already been putting a lot of creativity and thought into these costumes. So I can't wait to see them. I honestly won't be doing anything. Um, I'm chilling. But I have a great show for you. So I hope you all love it. It is definitely Halloween slash horror themed and you know I'm going to talk to you about my lived experiences as well so hopefully you all enjoy it so you know how we do this we always start with a mental check-in um the last time you all heard from me I am still doing the same things interviewing I am working hard to find a permanent position, still taking as many assignments as I can because we are still about that check. Please believe. And I'm doing really well. Y'all know where Marcel is at. That bitch is on the high seas, singing, doing what she does best, entertaining mama, being fish, being cunt, being the doll. And I think um, he actually has some friends with him who are cruising. So I hope everybody has fun. I know you guys are going to, I already know. I'm not worried about it. There's fun to be had. Okay. Let's see. So um, mental check-in. I'm doing very well. I actually have a wedding coming up this weekend. So shout out to my boo, Shanti. I cannot wait to see you in that dress. I know it's going to be so much fun. Um. Listen, y'all, I don't know what's happening. It's wedding season. This will be my third wedding in, I mean, since July. I went to a wedding in July. I just went to a wedding about a week, about a week ago. And I'm coming up on one this uh, weekend. So shout out to everybody getting married. Love is in the air, honey. I'm not mad at it one bit. Um, let's see what else has been going on. That's honestly about it, y'all. Just trying to keep this show going, making sure that it is as good as it can possibly be. Um, I'm cooking up a storm as always. I actually just got me some, excuse me, I just got me some pumpkin because I am going to make my pumpkin cheesecake bars very soon, honey. And let me tell you, they are a hot ticket item. The girls love them. 
So I definitely can't wait to make those. But without further ado, let's get into the show. Um, you know what? I was going to spill a little bit of hot tea, but um, besides what's been happening with Kanye, I really don't want to talk about it. It's crazy. It's a mess. Um, defund Kanye West. <laughs> and that is all I'm going to say about it. Um, let's get into this show because I am very, very excited for it. I have been inspired because of this documentary that I was watching. And so I started doing some research and trying to, f- I mean, I have pages, y'all, front and back, like four or five pages possibly, um, just of notes and all the things that I wanted to say, and I'm trying to condense it down for you all so that it's still a great show and it has flow. Um, but hopefully you all love it. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about a little bit about what I'm talking about today and how it relates to, you know, Halloween, horror, queerness, D, all of the above. <laughs> So, um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe about, about a week ago, week ago, I was watching this documentary about the correlation between queerness and horror films. And I, of course, thought, duh, this is a topic that needs to be discussed on the show. Um, and it's obviously fitting that it's Halloween themed and Halloween today. So I had to talk about it. Um, the documentary was great. It was four parts and it was called Fear the Queer, I believe it is. And like I said, it just talks about how um, actually a lot of, if you really don't know or too big on the horror genre, how many writers, filmmakers of the time were queer people, um, gay people, who actually started the horror genre and the movement and why there are so many queer metaphor, uh, metaphor, not metaphor, honey, why there are so many queer metaphors, themes, and, um, you know, allegories in these films. And then also why we connect to them. Do you know what I mean? So, Again, I hope you're going to be interested. I am very excited to be sharing all of this with everybody because like I said when I watched the when I watched the documentary, I was inspired and it made me think like I really have to talk about this because I don't think a lot of people know about the um relationship between queerness and horror. So, let's go and let's get into it. Um I actually have my notes with me because I was like, ain't nothing like some good old paper, honey. Um, I would have my phone, but we don't want to type all this out. And why should we? So I can read. Um, <laughs> I wanted to start off. So the way that I have this curated is I wanted to kind of get into a little bit of the beginning of the history in horror and where it started. And then I also want to talk about some writers, directors, 
um, characters and also what type of queer metaphors we can see in these different films and books. So first thing is first. I think that a lot of queer people connect with horror, not only because we have written a lot of it and a lot of it is queer coded, but I also think we connect with it as queer people because historically we have been called monsters, right? How many times have, I mean, you know, it's even in the Bible that same sex are abominations, you know, we're going to hell, this, that, and the third. Anything that also hasn't been by society deemed as normal, right? They push to the outskirts of society. So anything that isn't, you know, completely fitting in with the family values and the American dream, it needs to be othered. It needs to be pushed to the side. It needs to be destroyed. Okay. So that's why I think a lot of us as queer people find empathy with these monsters. I mean, because for all intent and purposes, the monster, of course, they represent something, you know, possibly, because that's all subjective, maybe evil or bad, but they're just existing, right? It's the, uh, it's the people in these films, in these stories that um, obviously are setting out to destroy this being, um, this other, this, you know, sometimes it's not always even a monster. It's a person. You get me? Um, so I think we identify with that because, like I said, we've been seen by society as monsters and others. And so, of course, we take refuge in seeing someone else who has walked that journey. So, you know, horror really began um, my notes here, the 17th and 18th century. And that's when we started getting into a lot of queer gothic literature. A lot of the characters had to be coded, um, meaning you couldn't explicitly say, you know, they're gay, bi, trans, lesbian. You had to kind of word it in a way that people knew, right? And of course, the only people who are really, really going to know, I mean, queer people, obviously. But, you know, the the normal person just reading these stories or seeing these books. I just said the same damn thing, y'all. <laughs> what I was trying to say is the average person who is reading these books and seeing these movies, you know, typically won't be able to tell, you know, Oh, there's a deeper meaning there. There's a hidden message there. You know what I mean? Um, So that's where a lot of queer literature started back in the 17th and 18th centuries. And then we kind of moved on to, um, we have a writer named Mary Shelley. And she was actually the woman who is, she kind of pioneered horror. Um, She was a bisexual woman who was married and she was actually in a we call it now a thruple but 
her, her husband, they had a male lover that they shared with each other. And she was actually the writer of Frankenstein. So Frankenstein, we all know that story. Um, The doctor, he ends up, you know, creating this being and he takes this these body parts from all these different dead bodies and he puts them together and he makes this creation right but of course there is the deeper meaning there and that is what I want to dive into so we have a few different metaphors and um symbolism throughout Frankenstein but the two that I want to focus on of course would be the trans aspect and obviously the homosexual, the gay aspect. Um, now you have these two men, right? The doctor and um, Pretorius, who is his, you know, assistant. You have these two men who are basically creating life together. So obviously that in and of itself is you know, inherent to a same-sex, you know, couple possibly wanting to have a baby, you know, adopt a baby, but they're doing it, you know, with the absence of a woman. So it's, I mean, it's pretty revolutionary. It's pretty gay <laughs> to me, of course. Um, So you also have the metaphor of the monster representing the sexuality of the doctor, right? And that is his physical manifestation of his sexuality being hidden, right? At a certain point in time, you have the creature who runs off, the townspeople are chasing him, and they go and he, you know, they hide him in this dungeon, um, which is symbolic for being you know, hiding our own sexual desires and our sexuality. The townspeople represent the homophobia in the story, right? Because they are trying to essentially, they don't want the creation in their city, in their town. You know, he's a monster. He's the other. So we got to get rid of him. Um, The townspeople represent the homophobia. Anything that does not fall into the lines of perfect American society must, can, and will be destroyed. So you see the actual representation representation of um, homophobic acts of violence enacted upon the creature. And again, this is all symbolic of, you know, the creature is a representation of his sexual desires and his sexuality, the doctors, and Pretorius, his assistants. Now, the trans aspect comes into play. I mean, they quite literally are putting together this creation um, from different body parts, right? Of course, trans people don't take from, you know, this person and that person, but symbolically by way of science they are able to essentially create versions of themselves that they ultimately want to be you get it so those two themes throughout frankenstein are extremely prevalent the transness and the gay aspect 
So moving on. And I hope this is also like, I don't want this to be so boring, but I just found this fascinating. So I honestly have to talk about it. And listen, if no one else listens, that's fine. I got it on my own, boo. So moving on. Um, and I want to talk about Oscar Wilde. He was a gay man who was an author and he's responsible for writing the story of Dorian Gray. Now, the story of Dorian Gray, if no one has read it or knows, you know, seen the movies, what this um, story is about is about a man, Dorian Gray, who as time goes on, he stays as young as ever, immortal as ever. But what we don't know is that he has a picture of himself that is kept away and it's hidden. So as Dorian stays immortal, young, handsome, this picture, this painting that he has of himself continues to grow old, um, more monstrous, more dark, more menacing, right? And so ultimately, this is a story. The story of Dorian Gray is about repression. And I mean, what happens to us as gay people, as we have these, no, queer people, as we have these feelings of, you know, our queer desires and sexual desires that we are trying to deal with, that we have been told by society is wrong. What we are doing is repressing those feelings, basically putting those so far deep back in our minds and not trying to think of them, not trying to act on them. And so essentially what this story means is that in time, you end up repressing yourself so much that you become a monster, right? It, it consumes you, um, burying your thoughts, your sexuality, pushing it all down ends up consuming you, you know, it's also a metaphor for the dangers of being in the closet. The painting representing, you know, Dorian's sexuality, right? That's his secret that you can't let anyone else in on. And how many times have we as queer people obviously been dealing with the secret of fuck, I'm gay, you know, lesbian, bi, what have you. And you feel like you cannot tell anybody that. Because, of course, people are going to be like, those aren't feelings that you need to be having, right? This, I mean, this world is based and built on cis heteronormativity or heteronormativity, you know? So if it's not, you know, a man and a woman, anything other than that is deemed wrong, So with a story like Dorian Gray, like I said, that kind of repression ends up eating you up to the point where, I mean, in his case, he's, he just, he loses it. Um, in the end, he does destroy the picture, you know, and that can also be representative of people who never end up coming out at all, you know, throughout their entire lives. And then you end up letting that part of yourself just die (laughs) essentially and it's very sad um so 
that's the story of Dorian Gray. Oscar Wilde also had um, a wild life. He was actually imprisoned for being gay. Um, and he did two years, you know, hard labor as well as they, as I read, um, and saw in the documentary, but he also didn't have it easy. Do you know what I mean? So you have to understand that these writers are coming from a specific lens. Um, they're writing from a specific lens. And with that being said, that takes us to the writer of Dracula, Bram Stoker. So there is all these rumors about his sexuality. No one, you know, ever knew. And they say if he was, you know, queer or gay, that he never came out. They have found love letters that he wrote to Walt Whitman. Um, and he also knew Oscar Wilde as well. Um, and those love letters to Walt Whitman, I'm sorry, but to me, that's, that's some gay shit. He's basically like alluding to saying, you know, there's so many things that I want to tell you in person. Um, you've been able to free yourself from the shackles. Your wings are free. And it sounds very much like, you know, you're out, you're open, you're living life, you're happy. And Bram Stoker is writing like he wants to be that. And he admires that in Walt Whitman. So you get essentially, well, we'll come around to Dracula. Let me tell you how it kind of works its way into it. Um, When Oscar Wilde gets arrested, Bram Stoker, they said, did a complete change. Full 180. He starts condemning homosexuality. He starts writing out against it, saying that, you know, gay people, queer people should be punished. They should be jailed. Um, and he actually ends up marrying Oscar Wilde's ex. So that being said, they end up, I guess, Bram Stoker gets involved into theater at some point um, back in England and he ends up meeting an actor. Well, his hero, as they put it, Henry Irving. Um, and they say that Irving treated him terribly. They treated him. Henry Irving treated Bram Stoker horribly in their relationship. And so coming around to Dracula, they say possibly that Dracula is a metaphor, not only for, you know, sexuality and eroticism, but it's a story about a dom-sub relationship. And they say that because Bram Stoker is possibly writing in the story of Dracula. Um, Dracula, of course, is the vampire. And you have Renfield, who is his assistant. And his assistant, Renfield, is completely obsessed, devoted to Dracula, will do anything for Dracula, even though Dracula treats him horribly. So 
possibly they think, you know, there's a link between Bram Stoker and Rensley, um, you know, and him wanting to just do anything to please Dracula, a.k.a. Henry Irving. Um, so that was, I mean, I don't know. This is also just crazy to me, like these stories and how they all connect to each other um, and how they just are so intertwined, right? <sighs> I don't know. This maybe, maybe this is the geek in me. Who knows? Maybe this possibly could have been a fucking um, paper <laughs> that I wrote. Um, but I can just say I'm, I'm loving all of this information that I've been, you know, reading and listening and hearing about. Um, so that was, you know, Bram Stoker and Dracula. And the next director that I want to talk about, of course, everyone knows his name, the iconic Alfred Hitchcock. Now, um, of course, Hitchcock was married. No one really knows his true identity or who he was. But what we do know is that he had a sort of um love-hate relationship with women, almost bordering on misogynistic hatred women for them, but also a strong desire, which is where a lot of the framework for his movies comes from. And you can kind of see that common thread throughout as well. Um, Alfred Hitchcock used a lot in the 60s, a lot of gay, um, queer people as well in his films. And he had a lot of queer writers, a lot of queer actors that um, represented a lot of his characters. And what they say about Hitchcock is he also created a little bit of distrust and an unease of queerness with his characters, right? He was interested in a lot of male characters that were outside of society. So I'll give you a few examples. There's a movie, Shadow of a Doubt. He has a character called Uncle Charlie. And Uncle Charlie is obsessed with killing women who are wealthy widows just living off of their husband's money, right? He's completely offended by it. So he decides to just kill all of these women. Um, and like I say, that also gives the notion that, you know, gay men hate and want to kill women. Right. So that's why we talk about Hitchcock and his misogyny and um, how he's kind of put. Uh, misogyny and homosexuality almost hand in hand. Do you know what I mean? Um, a lot of his queer coded characters were also villains. A lot of his characters were also villains. You have the movie of Rope, which I, oh my God, I, I have to see this movie. I'll probably watch it. It's Halloween, so I'll probably watch it tonight. But um, <laughs> you have a movie like Rope where you have these two men who are from, you know, aristocratic society. And basically they end up just killing their friend because they can, right? <laughs> so, and that movie is full of gay subtext. They're clearly in a relationship. 
you clearly have one person who is a top, one person who is a, a bottom. You know, the top is the one who's in control. He's in demand. He's calling all the shots. Of course, you have his his mate who's s- somewhat skittish, scared, um, you know, leaning on him as well to be support system. So Hitchcock put a lot of his queer coding in his actors, in his films. And then we have, of course, one of his biggest, biggest films that we all know, Psycho. Um, and Psycho comes in the age of slasher films, the the killer cross-dressing films as well. I know one of the women in the documentary said that possibly that could also be the first case of the trans panic in the bathrooms. Do you know what I mean? Um, so for those of those who don't know, Norman Bates ends up hearing the thoughts of his mother in his head. However, his mom is dead. He killed the mother and he killed her lover. Um, Norman seems to have some sort of weird, obsessive relationship with his mother, um, which in turn creates this almost Oedipus complex um, with his mom. And so he just goes into a rage and he kills her and her lover. Um, And because he's so conflicted and that this is also a story about um, repression, you know, Norman's sexuality, he ends up killing Marion Crane but he does it dressed as his mother. So, you know, he wears the wig. He keeps her body in the attic still. He talks as her. Um, and this is also kind of the first instance of, like we also mentioned, you know, transness, right? Um, it's the trans killer trope that, you know, possibly any character who could be trans you play on that fear that they're killers. They're mentally unstable. Silence of the Lambs also has a movie where the, the killer is trans. Um, Buffalo Bill, as they are called in the movie, ends up killing these women in order to wear their skin. Right. And I also read that even today, some of the first, you know, trans bathroom bills that have been drafted. Some of those have been even called Buffalo bills in regard to the Silence of the Lambs movie and the trans killer. Um, I just, ugh, I don't know about y'all, but this shit is just fascinating as fuck to me. <laughs> it really is. Um, So that's the story of, you know, a little bit about Roman Bates and, you know, the cross-dressing killer, the trans killer as well. You see in a lot of films, a lot of movies. And we'll move on. So I have just a couple more characters and then I'll be done. <laughs> and then you all can go watch these incredible films. Watch this documentary. Please let me know how you feel about this episode as well. I really do. Um, have 
a lot of love for this episode because obviously I'm a queer person. I love horror. I love um, finding out where all of these historic films, books come from, the people that write them, the stories that they're telling as well. So let's keep going. So the story of Wolfman and also Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, this is what they call transformative stories. Any sort of story where where you have um, a transformation happening, right, in the film. So, you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, he starts off as the doctor and then, you know, by night or what have you, he becomes Mr. Hyde, um, the wolfman. You know, the full moon, he ends up becoming this unbridled, you know, creature that just can't be contained. And the theme for these movies and books are um, duality, right? Having the real you being locked away, right? Your, Your sexuality, having your sexuality be pushed down so deep. Um, and locked away from you and you're having to present you know the closeted version of yourself um so they say that a lot of these films transformation films are about the fear of losing our own identity you know something that's so deep inside of us that we can't control that will just take over completely of who we are right again that's that fear of quote unquote the other um and typically the other usually ends up existing in ourselves right catch that dirt um it's also a story these stories are also about being afraid of of course being out being found out um these stories about how how you have to pass in society do you know what i mean um like I said, we're passing as these straight people, the normal person, the Dr. Jekyll, the um, gentleman or the, the woman before the transformation of the wolf man, wolf woman into Mr. Hyde. They also say that um, wolf man is the perfect allegory for um, coming of age or actually out of the closet. Right. You know, one day your sexuality, like the Wolfman curse, will, quote unquote, come out. Um, And that is. Who hasn't felt that way? Right. As a queer person, you're like, fuck. If they know who I really am, I mean, I'm fearful of it. People on the outside are obviously fearful of it. Um, How will they react? What will it happen to me? You know, what will happen to me? Once this thing is found out, um, and it's also, you know, the queer, queer people like in the instance of the wolf man are running from the internal, right? We're running from the curse. We're running from our sexuality. Um, but you can, I mean, can you really ever, again, you have lots of people who, go about this life and they never ever fully become their truly realized selves because they are always so hooked and obsessive with the thought of society and what society will think of them um and but it's hard when you see things like our trans brothers and sisters being killed 
right? Or like in the instance of Matthew Shepard, when when he was brutalized and murdered, do you understand? So it's always, um, it's always iffy and tricky, right? As queer people, when can we come out? You know, when do we come out? How do we come out? But um, it's all about ultimately living in our truth, being our most authentic selves. And when I was watching this documentary, they also talked about this movie, um, The Wolfman, and or no, um, I believe they're talking about um, uh, The Howling Two. Excuse me, The Howling Two. And um, they say how these wolves live in communities, right? And if that's not, you know, symbolic of what queer people do, again, you have to look through the lens that they're calling queer people monsters. So, of course, you're going to have people who are considered monsters of society. We are going to band together. We are going to connect with each other. We are going to find company um we're going to find family with each other because we can't find it anywhere else Woo, honey deep shit so our last um our last characters and themes that i also want to go over that i saw was um and the invasion of the body snatchers now of course, these movies are basically about aliens who come down and they end up taking taking the person from, you know, they switch bodies, basically is what they do. The aliens come down and switch bodies with every normal day people. Um, these themes, these metaphors are big on passing. These themes and metaphors are influential to being outed transness and conformity that's what the invasion of the body snatchers all have in common right so it's this idea of the quote invisible monster you know like i said the one who is coming into into society you don't know who they are it's almost like you know the queer the queer they're 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 everywhere and nowhere at once right (laughs) because you really don't know who they are I was reading that in the 50s, especially um, when the also the communist movement was going around, that they were kind of trying to have it linked. Right. They wanted to also get the communists out and and reveal all the communists. And they also wanted to do the same thing to queer people and homosexual people. So that's when you start to see a lot of the bar raids, the gay bar raids start to happen. Um, where the police just come in and terrorize all the queer men. Um, you actually saw a lot of people when they got arrested, they would in turn post their names in the newspaper because to them, then it's like the worst thing you could possibly be doing or be is gay. And like I said, they wanted to eradicate that from society um invasion of the body snatchers again is like i said 
the conformity, the fear of conformity. It's about the fear of, quote, the straight agenda, you know, what society is telling you to be, right? If I'm this big, boisterous, energetic, fun-loving person, why would you want me to be some boring, dull, you know, dead behind the eyes, just shell of a person, you know? Who wants to fucking conform and be all the same? That's the premise of the body snatchers again. Everyone wanted to be the same. Everyone wanted to be uniform. Um, I also do like in the documentary, they talk about in 1993 when they came out with another uh, body snatchers movie, how that also came out around the time that don't ask, don't tell was implemented. Now, for anyone who doesn't know about that, that was a law they put in place in the military that basically said, if you are queer, you know, gay, do not ask, do not, you know, you can't ask anybody. And if you are, you can't tell, you know? So like I said, that was a way of, again, you talk about passing, conformity, wanting to be normal. Um, and it's just, it's just wrong. (laughs) I mean, ultimately this life that we live as queer people, it is not easy by any means, right? And we choose to still walk in our path, in our authenticity, in all of our glory. And we choose to do it proudly, even though, as I said before, sometimes the outside forces, the world, society, will tell us that what we are doing is wrong when in actuality what they are doing is wrong by trying to push us into the outskirts by trying to eradicate us by trying to um erase us right like they continue to do daily by banning books you know they are they have all these trans and um queer laws in place that stop progression for our communities and it's just it's just crazy which is you know why you ended up having something like the stonewall riots because the queer queer people ended up seeing the civil rights movement and they knew that if they could band together as a community that we would be able to elicit change in the world um so that's all i got Um, I don't know if this is going to be a long episode, a short episode, but I am still very much glad that I did it. Nonetheless, (laughs) I hope you all had a great time listening. Please leave your comments and let me know what you think. Um, once again, make sure you follow us on Instagram, Queer and Relevant, and then be sure to follow me. I am Ron DMC. Follow Marcel. Marcel Lamar Music, and make sure you follow us on Twitter at Queer A-N-D, and Relevant. Love you all so much. Thank you for listening to another wonderful episode. Talk to you soon. Bye bye.